Welcome to the Sugar Hill Church Podcast. We hope and pray this message challenges and inspires you to live out God's truth in your life. Um, I got this in my email this week. It is a, um, it's a picture of the sermon notes, like the, in the inside of your bulletin where it says sermon notes and y'all never write anything down except, hey, where do you want to eat today? And um, I see those laying around in here after the service. I know what you're writing down, right? But this was a nine-year-old, and this is what the nine-year-old got out of last week's uh, teaching on simple Colossians chapter three. He, had, he, he did acrostic with simple. S was some people are different than I am. The I was, I am different. The M was, my sins are forgiven. The P was, people are all different color. And the E was, because he left, he left the L out. <laughs> Thank you for your correction on that. That was really cool. Alex, was that you? Let me make sure you were correcting spelling. That alone is irony at its great. Way to go, bud. That's awesome. The E was everything will not always be the same. And then at the end, he said, the blood of Jesus Christ is in everything, even in my heart. A nine-year-old got it. Maybe not the spelling, but he definitely got it. I encourage you to get it today. We're in Colossians chapter 4. We're finishing up this series called uh, Simple. And uh, Paul writes these letters to these different churches. And this book called Colossians, toward the end of the New Testament, uh, feel free to open up the app and you can follow along with teaching notes. You can do it, find all the scriptures there. You can tap it. It'll take you to YouVerse and do all that. Feel free to follow along. Sometimes I follow my notes and it's very cool. And other times I don't and it's just a little weird. But uh, hang in there with us. It, Paul writes a letter to a church in a little place called Colossae. And what he's trying to do is simplify for them the message of Jesus. And what he does is what we're trying to do here as a church, which is how do you strip away everything that we humans have put on top of the gospel of Jesus and take it away so that it doesn't keep people from coming to Christ. Like, for example, I grew up, you've heard me say before, I grew up in a very legalistic home. Like, my dad believed if you played cards, you were going to hell. I, I never really got that, so as a result, every time Jenny and I play a card game, she has to tell me what to do. I have no idea. If I sat down at a poker table, I, the only thing I would get is go fish, right? I mean, I just, I'm completely foreign to that, right, because I grew up in that. And along, along the way, what I began to grow and understand as a follower of Jesus was he, he didn't layer all those human rules on it. The church did. People did. And Jesus came along and said, you know, this is, why do you all make this complicated? It's really this simple. Love God with all your heart and your mind and your soul. And when you do that, you'll find it easy to love other people the way you ought to love yourself. And so Jesus comes along and gives us this picture. But then Paul, as instructed by God, writes these letters to the churches. And the church that he's writing to in Colossae, in Colossians, the last chapter, chapter 4, it talks about prayer at the beginning of it. Now, let me kind of at the, at the offset of this say to you that I read a study from Barna Research Group a couple weeks ago in preparation for this uh, teaching, and it said that the average believer, the average follower of Jesus between the ages of 28 and 58 pray less than two minutes each week for something other than their meal. 
two minutes. Okay, I want that to sink in for two minutes. Because, you see, it, it proves this one thought that, that prayer is a faith thing. Prayer in its nature is a picture of your faith. It is a reflection of what we believe God to be. So if we believe that God cannot hear, cannot do, God's heart is not moved, we don't pray. If we really believe the creator of the universe who spoke the galaxies into existence and knew our name before we were formed in our mom's womb, if we believe that, then we pray in such a way that we expect him to answer. So anywhere between that spectrum, we, we land. And based on studies that would say if you're the average follower of Jesus, that means that you believe God is worth it about two minutes a week. Now, that's a little harsh, but, I mean, I want you to just think and measure in your prayer life what that looks like. It is a reflection of our faith. I mean, the degree to which I pray, the degree of my prayer life is in direct correlation to whether I'm walking toward Christ or away from Christ day by day by day. It's true for me. It's true for you. And it's something that, that really is a picture of faith. And here's why. Faith demands that when we pray, we're asking a God we cannot see to do something that we're relinquishing control of. So we're praying to a God we can't see for a result that we can't control. And so you'd say, well, that, that is totally illogical. And, and that's true because almost everything Jesus teaches us to do is counterculture to what we know. So everything we think we know, he really comes along and says, you know, there's a part of this you're never going to understand, but I want you to have faith. That's why you gotta have faith. And when you look at faith, then it becomes a prayer thing. I mean, James Brown saying, mm, get up off that thing, mm, right? How many of y'all remember that song? It is so cool to be old and know that people heard that. That's very cool. Thank you. For those of you that are like 20, he was a super cool guy that really had a whacked out life, but he, his music really changed the world. So let's go from there, all right? But you know, I don't think he was putting it in this context, do you? But I, I believe Paul is saying, man, you, you need to get your prayer thing in order. You need to get it right. You need to see what it looks like. As a matter of fact, in Colossians chapter 4, let's start at the beginning of the chapter in verse 2. It says, continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. And at the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. Prayer being a faith thing. You see, I believe the great challenge in our prayer life is not unanswered prayer, it's unoffered prayer. The greatest challenge in us is what we don't offer. I mean, what did the Bible say? You have not because you? Yeah, ask not. So if you're watching online today in our streaming service and, and you're wondering, what, well, if, what happens when I ask? Well, let's learn what it says. First, Paul teaches us how we're supposed to come into a relationship and have this ongoing conversation with God. As a matter of fact, it, Paul really hammers in this concept that this is an untapped resource that, that we all have the ability to access. And why we don't really is unfathomable, but we don't. And, and by and large, what we do is leave that resource completely untapped, and we decide we're going to control our own lives, our own destiny. We're going to be the captain of our own ship. And then when it sinks, then prayer comes back into our life. When, when, when mom gets sick, prayer comes back into our life. When we show up at a funeral, Prayer comes back in our life. And then we kind of go away and then we control ourselves. But he says in, 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 in the text, in chapter 4, he says prayer is an undeniable part of our life. If you're going to be a follower of Christ, we need to learn how to make prayer 
persistent in our life. We ought to pray persistently. I mean, we ought to be praying persistently. Now, that doesn't mean a long prayer. It doesn't mean you drag it out. It doesn't mean that you get into two different spheres. I mean, we got three kind of people who pray in this room. Right? And then you've got a scale in between. You've got, you got the people on the one side that when they talk to God, all of a sudden they become like super reverent. They take it down like three notches. You know what I'm talking about? It's like the guy who goes all week long, and then when it's time to pray, he goes like this. Oh, Father. Right? And then you go to the other extreme, and you've got people who, who haven't talked to God in forever, but then they break out the church voice. Oh, Father! <laughs> right? We, we got both extremes. And then they come in between, and somewhere we stand. But here's the great thing. I mean, God invites you into his room to have an ongoing conversation. Persistently, Paul is saying to us, it's like, a, it's like you wake up in the morning and you hit the green button on your cell phone and you open up that line and you never, ever, ever hit the red button. The conversation keeps going. What he's saying is persistently is throughout the course of your day, good, bad, up or down, in or out, Inevitably, what he's saying is be in this ongoing dialogue, in this ongoing conversation with God, because when you do, then he will guide the rest of your conversations. Dartmouth study said that 87% of our, our challenges in leadership in life are interpersonal, how we get along with people, one another. And Paul's saying, listen, when you allow God to be in this ongoing conversation with you, he will direct your path. He will give you the direction. He will direct your conversation. So how many of you have ever said something to somebody and you wish you could take it back? You with me? Yeah, we all have. I mean, if you're married and you've been in a fight, I promise you at some point you said something you wish you could take back and it hangs out there, doesn't it? It's like a dark cloud. And, and, if, and if you're married to somebody who remembers that forever, it never gets gone, does it? I mean, it's just hanging out there waiting for the rain to fall because I wish I could pull it back, but I can't. And Paul's saying what happens when our, when our dialogue, when our speech gets off track, when we're not right with people around us because we're not right with God and he's not directing our conversation. He's saying pray persistently. That's what Paul was saying to the church in another city called Thessalonica when he wrote the book called First Thessalonians. In chapter 5, verse 17, what did he say? Pray without ceasing. Now, he's not saying never stop talking. He's saying never hit the red button on the cell phone. Keep the line open. Keep talking with God. It never, ever stops. Last night was uh, prom where our girls go to school. Could I just say as a disclaimer, I despise prom. I hate it with every fiber of my being. I hate prom. Because in our house, it's not just prom, it's prama. We had prom and drama. We put it all together and we got prama. Jenny and I last night, we had girls taking pictures in one place, girls taking pictures in another place. You can never wear the same dress twice, so you got to have a new dress. Then you got to do makeup, then you got to do hair, and then you got to have pictures, and then you got to eat somewhere where those people hate that big group of kids coming to eat, but you know you got to do it. And then you're going to go to dance, so you don't really dance at because you just want to be seen and have pictures and post it on Instagram to say that you were there. And then you go to the party after the party, and in the middle of all that, you know, you, as a parent, you know what you do? you just start praying, dear God, please don't let them do something stupid. Right? That's faith. That's faith. Pray persistently. You never stop. But I believe he also comes along and says, pray passionately. Pray passionately. Jesus, when he prayed, it was passionate. You ever know somebody who just gets into something and they become like, like wacko passionate about it? Like some of y'all are CrossFitters, Right? Most people who CrossFit, when I, when I watch their, you know, I see what they do. I mean, I admire y'all. Way to go. Thumbs up. Could I just say to you, I don't get it. 
this does not crossfit <laughs> right now i'll go to bodyplex and i'll do that stuff but i ain't climbing a rope you know why i'm gonna fall <laughs> no they, they call that double up or upper double or whatever those things are they do on the rings and i look at that and i think they're gonna die any minute i've never seen a crossfitter do that and smile that's like y'all that run i don't get that when I watch y'all run on the side of the road, I see you running, I ride by, and you know what you look like? <laughs> Why would you do that? Right? I mean, come on. But they're passionate about it. Like some of you are passionate. Like the other day, I couldn't believe how many of our church folk talked about Georgia State and that winning shot, and the coach, you know, tore his Achilles and fell after his son hit the three-pointer. I mean, you know, we posted all that. But you know what? I wonder why we're not passionate enough to post that we were here at Sugar Hill Church today and, and post the worship team and hashtag worship and hashtag Sugar Hill Church. But, you know, it, it's a reflection of what we're passionate about. Jesus gave us a reflection of his passion. Let me give you a few instances. In Luke chapter 3, verse 1, when Jesus was baptized, he prayed, and guess what happened? Passionate prayer opened heaven. Now, there's a hashtag for you. Hashtag passionate prayer opens heaven. You want heaven to open up on your life? Engage in passionate prayer. In Luke chapter 6, verse 12, he, called, he was calling his apostles out of the group of disciples, and he spent the whole night in prayer. Passionate prayer gives us direction. You say, well, God, I want you to tell me I turn right or turn left. I go or I stay. I go up or I go down. I go left or I go right. What do you want? Passionate prayer gives us direction. In, in Luke chapter 9, verse 29, at Jesus' transfiguration, passionate prayer allows us to experience the glory of God. Don't you want to be in a position and a posture where the glory of God literally fills you? where you stop being transparent and you become translucent because the light of the world has not only saturated your soul, but it is saturated to the degree that it is shining out from you. That's what passionate prayer does. In John chapter 17, Jesus prayed for us. Jesus, Jesus is praying for us. Even now, he is praying for us. The Bible says he is interceding, praying on our behalf to the Father for you and I. Every time that we don't obey Jesus, we're stepping over a praying Jesus to get there. He's praying for us. You know, you know what passionate prayer does? It reveals our love for others or the lack thereof. Jesus was praying for us. In Luke chapter 22, where Jesus is praying through the night in the Garden of Gethsemane, the Bible says, and being in agony, he was praying fervently, and his sweat became like drops of blood falling down upon the ground. Passionate prayer allows us to be totally honest with God, even in our most difficult circumstances. So I want you to think for a minute, and I want you to get in your head, okay? I'm going to give you a second to do this. Think of the one thing that you would want to bring to God if you really believed he could do it. Think of the one thing you could bring to God. Just think about it. You got it in your head? What's the one thing? If you really believe God would answer that prayer, what would you bring to God? You got it? We're going to come back to that in a minute. In Luke chapter 23, verse 24, as Jesus hung on the cross, his prayer, that passionate prayer strengthens us, and it's a conduit for God's power. I want all of that I can get. Jesus prayed with passion. You know why? He knew who he was, and he knew who he prayed to. My question to you is, do you know who you are? Do you know that you're in Christ? Do you know that God hears that prayer because you are a child of God? Do you know that there's come a time where you've literally accepted Jesus? I want to thank you for dying for me, for shedding your blood for me. I want to accept the fact that you rose from the dead for me, and I, I want to turn around. I want to live for you, not me. 
And I want to thank you for that. And if you've done that, then you've meant that. And that's the desire of your heart. You know what God says? Come on, you're my kid. Come into my room. Crawl up in my lap. Let me, let me hear from you. He wants to hear from us. Prayer from the heart. That's what passionate prayer is. It's a prayer from the heart, not just the head. James 5, 5.16 says, The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much. I love trying to figure out how to become more effective and how to become more efficient. I'm kind of a tech nerd on that kind of thing. I read a lot of articles on it, and I'm trying to figure out how can I get more in a day done. And what James says, you know what? If you just have the effective, fervent prayer, God will do much. It doesn't matter how, how many tools you use. It doesn't mean how much time management you learn. He's saying if you really want to accomplish much, then have an effective, fervent prayer. But for us to do that, I believe we've got to recognize that God wants us to flourish here and now. God, God doesn't want to have just a relationship about an exit strategy from this place to heaven. What we do here is not waiting for evacuation. He wants us to flourish in the here and now in this ongoing dialogue with him. I want to give you three thoughts that are not in your notes, so you may want to grab pen, pencil, lipstick, or mascara and jot these down. Number one, I believe when we pray fervently, that we recognize the love of God wants the best for us. I believe when, when we pray fervently, when we pray passionately, we will learn to pray gratefully. When we pray gratefully, the constant theme of running through our life is we are grateful for what God has done, for what God is doing, for what God has yet to do. And we recognize the love of God wants the best for us. When we pray gratefully, when we pray fervently, when we pray passionately, we're recognizing, accepting that we know God wants the best for us. Our God is for us. That's the greatest news I could give you today. The greatest reason to step into the presence of God and talk with him is that he's not waiting to scold you. He's waiting to love you. Now, and if you're looking for a tweet, that's it. God is not waiting to scold you. God is waiting to love you. God is not waking up every morning waiting to bust you on what you did wrong. God is already up waiting for you to arise so that you might be a part of his redemptive plan of mankind, and he wants you to be in this ongoing conversation with him. Why? Because he, he wants the best for us. But you know what else he wants? He, we recognize that when we pray that way, when we pray passionately, fervently, when we pray gratefully, we recognize the wisdom of God knows what's best for us. The wisdom of God knows what's best for us. Really, think about it. You're relinquishing control. Every time you say, and you finish a prayer and say, in Jesus' name, amen, you know what you're saying? You're saying, I know you know best, and when you answer, you're going to answer what's best for me, not always what I think I want or what I know. I will never forget, I was, uh, I was 20 years old, and uh, I'd already started building some houses. And uh, I went to the Gwinnett County Fair, and they were giving away a John Deere tractor. And you know what I thought to myself? I got to have me some tractor. So I went and registered, and I found everybody I could to give me the tickets for that tractor. And I'm telling you, I prayed for that tractor like a fool. I prayed, I prayed, I prayed. I went to the Gwinnett County Fair the night they were giving that tractor away, and in my heart, you know what I thought? I am going to be on a big green tractor. Bam. They got to reading those numbers, and there were seven numbers. I'll never forget. I got to number six, and I thought, here it goes. It's there. Here you go. And some old dude next to me won the tractor. And you know what I thought? 
God, that was not cool. That was so not cool. About three weeks later, I got a crew and we're trying to dress up a house and get it ready for a closing. And this guy who I'd gotten to know that was a trim carpenter for me, he said, uh, how come you don't use a tractor out there? I said, I don't have one. He said, you know, I got an old tractor. He says, old, old Ford 8N, you know, the gray and red ones. And he said, if you can get it running, you can have it. Okay. So I hauled off over there and I got the tractor and I got it hauled up on the trailer and got it home, piddled around with that silly tractor, eventually got it running. And you know what? To my knowledge, it's still running. I look at that and I think, you know, the lesson I learned there was we pray fervently, we pray passionately, we really need to learn how to pray gratefully because he's going to give something to us in his wisdom that's more than what we think we want or need. And then the third thing is we, we pray believing the power of God can accomplish it. Remember, our prayer life is a direct reflection of our faith life. The degree to which we pray, that our prayer happens day by day is a direct reflection of your faith life. You believe God can't, you don't pray. You believe God can, you pray. So here's what I want to do today. I want to invite you to um, just set the Bible, the pen, just set everything down. Just don't have anything in your lap, if you would, for a minute. Just kind of go with me on this. I I want us to practice prayer for a minute. I I know that's odd. Just, Just hang in there. Okay. I believe deep in our soul, there's a part of us that tells us there's more to this. There, there's more to my relationship than an exit strategy for heaven. There's something I'm missing. There's more to this relationship, and I, I want to figure out what that is. I believe prayer is when we enter into the presence of God and we just kind of unload our soul. It's where when the deepest, darkest crevices of our inner being, everything about us that God already knows, we just kind of hear, God, take, it's yours. I'm, I'm so tired of this, it's yours. I mean, where there's no dust in the corners of your soul, where it's just, it's out there. Here's what I know. Some of you, your posture of prayer needs to be on your knees at this altar. Nothing magic about the altar but maybe that's the posture of your prayer. Maybe, maybe for some of you, you need to turn around and make the chair your altar and get on your knees. Last service, we had people who stood and just stood there, and that's their posture of prayer. Just, Lord, I want to hear from you. Pour down on me. Rain down on me. Soak me to the soul with, with, with your presence. We had people that got out in the, in the aisles and, and got on their knees and prayed. We had folks that came to the altar. We had folks that turned around and used their chair. I saw a little girl, probably about 11 or 12 years old, come up and just got on her knees right here, and I don't know what she was crying about. I don't know what she was praying about, but there she was, and I thought to myself, dear God, she walked into the presence of the one who loves her, and she was just pouring her guts out. And I thought to myself, golly, I want to do that. Don't you? So here's what I'm going to invite you to do. In a church like this, it's a 129-year-old church. And, you know, we got so much orthodoxy and stuff layered on top of what we believe that when we've, we've turned church and we've turned prayer into something it was never intended to be. So I'm going to invite you right now, if, if your posture of prayer is to come to this altar, all it takes is two or three people that will start moving and other people will come. 
If you want to turn around and get on your knees and make your chair an altar, all it takes is two or three people to stand up, turn around, and do that. You want to get on your knees right where you're at. You want to get in the, in the aisle and just kneel where you're at. Man, you feel like you need to just lay down in front of God do that. Your thing is, I want to stand up and I, I want to do that. You, you want to sit there with your hands cupped and just hear from God. Whatever your posture is, I'm inviting you right now, find it. Whatever that is, find it. Find your posture of prayer. Find your position where you're, where you're allowing God to rain down on you. And let's take a minute and practice what it is to walk into the presence of the Holy God. I want to invite you right now, recognizing that Abba, Father, spiritual dad, welcomed you into his room you literally walked up to the Father, the creator of the universe. And he picks you up and he sets you on his lap. And I invite you right now to ask God to remove from your brain and from your soul and from your heart any distraction. last thing Satan wants you to do is get focused on the Holy One. God, remove distractions from our heart and our head. Give us a time of holiness, of awe, of reverence before our God. I invite you to thank him right now. He's given you breath. He's given you life. In him, he's given you hope. Thank him. That one thing we talked about a minute ago, bring that before God. Maybe it's your health. Maybe it's your job. Maybe it's your kids. Maybe it's money. Just picture in this time of meditation that you're, you're laying it before Jesus and he's got it. Then I invite you to Ask God to bring someone into your mind and into your heart. You may not even know what specifically to pray for them, but pray for them right now. Become a conduit for the power of God to reach someone else. God the Father, my creator. I believe in Christ the Son, my Savior. 
And if you're not sure he's your savior while you're in the posture of prayer, just ask him, Lord, come be my savior. Enter into my life. I believe in the Holy Spirit, my sustainer, my keeper. My God is three in one. Jesus, we are desperate for what is real. In the midst of our doubt, God, allow our faith and our doubt to become dance partners. And you would cause that to allow faith to lead us, not doubt. That we would pray in Jesus' name, his way, his will, in agreement with surrender our lives to you for you are always good and we are always loved in the name of Jesus we offer all these prayers knowing you will hear and claiming the promise that you will answer amen so as you go into this week and you pray I urge you to pray fervently. Push the green button and never push the red one. Give the, leave the dialogue on. Let it be an ongoing conversation. I, I believe when you do that, God will examine your attitude and you will too. I believe what will happen is we'll learn to measure our words because that, that dialogue, that conversation directs every other conversation we have. And then I believe through the power of God as he answers your prayer, he will literally release your life to do something extraordinary. And I don't know what that is. I don't even know who that is. But I know he longs to do it in your life because he came and he loved you first. Our God, three in one. Thanks for listening to the Sugar Hill Church Podcast. For more information and to find out more about our church, please visit us at sugarhillchurch.com.